Thank you for listening and welcome to the Life Radio Show, a proud member of the SJ Network and Breaking the Fourth Wall Entertainment. I'm your host, Don Smith. Trial lawyer, musician, and podcaster Brian Smith joins me this week to talk about Dream Path Podcast, improv classes for lawyers, and kung fu hits to the groin. If you enjoy the show, like and follow The Life 1069 on Facebook and Don Smith Comedy on Twitter. Or tune in live on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. Or you can stream the show live at WWSU1069.org. The brutal presence overwhelms me. The brutal presence overwhelms me. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. All right. Hey, welcome back to the Life Radio Show, or welcome to the Life Radio Show, since we didn't, uh, not coming back from a break, but I just, I do this show as with a live feel, so I'm not going to edit any of that stupid stuff out that I just said, but hey, I'm your host, Don Smith. <laughs> if you've listened to the Life Radio Show before, you're used to this. Uh, we're still zooming along in the in the COVID era, hoping that uh, they'll rush vaccines through all the uh, human trials and maybe get some mutant superheroes out of it and create our own form of Avengers. <laughs> That's really what <laughs> it'd, it'd be nice if the if the vaccine would you know fight the coronavirus too, but it would also be really cool to get some mutant humans with superpowers. That's really. <laughs> I, th- I think it would be anyway. And <laughs> my guest has already Zoomed in with us, uh, Brian Smith. Uh, no relation that I'm aware of, but Brian Smith is with us, host of the Dream Path podcast. Welcome to the show. Don, thank you for having me on. Not a problem, not a problem. Are you also looking for uh, superhero mutants? Is that. I'm looking for something to mix it up. Okay, uh, yeah. Well, know. it's 2020. It's... <laughs> we, we need some, and something to make 2020 a little more intriguing and exciting. Yes, yes. I, I want, if not mutant superheroes, at least one super villain by New Year's <laughs> Eve that we're going to have to defeat by New Year's Eve in order to right. get into 2021 and put all this behind us. I think that's... exactly. <laughs> so uh, tell me a little bit about the Dreamcast, Dream Path podcast, if I can speak. Well, I've got a few versions of this um explanations i'll give you the extreme uh nutshell version the short version i interview creatives about their creative journeys um to expand on that a little more i interview musicians filmmakers painters writers poets uh about how they got to where they're at how they became successful so i've been doing that for about two years and um it's been a fun journey so what made you want to start doing that? Well, I'm a musician myself. I'm a writer. Uh, I am a trial lawyer by day. And for the last 20 plus years, I have been working very hard advocating for clients. And uh, about half my practice involves suing various uh, religious entities for sexual abuse that occurred mm. decades ago. So I am uh, I'm representing sexual abuse survivors throughout the country, so my practice is national, and it's basically a 24-7 gig. It's, um, I've got clients that are in various time zones. They're texting me and calling me uh, all hours of the day and night and wow. through the weekends. And so I, it, I love the job. I love the work, but I also felt a sense of uh, like I really wasn't feeling personally fulfilled, especially since I started out as a musician and had aspirations to do something personally creative and put something out there in the world that was, uh, you know, creative. And, and so I started looking at ways to find a voice basically. And I thought, well, I love podcasts. There are certain podcasts that were inspiring to me, podcasters, uh, Mark Marin, WTF. You probably are aware of him since he's a comic. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, Tim Ferriss's show, 
as well. But I, I really like long form interviews where you get to hear connections being made and you get to hear stories unfolding that you wouldn't hear on Good Morning America. Right. And uh, so I said, you know what? I do this every day with my clients. I find out what their story is. I tell stories through interviews in the courtroom and trial by putting witnesses on the stand. And why can't I do this in a podcast? So I did. Um, a little more, actually, almost two years ago, I decided uh, basically at the Sundance Film Festival that it was Sundance 2019 that I was going to start this thing. And I did. So March of 2019, I uh, started Dream Path Podcast. And my first guest was a lovely painter by the name of Hiba Jamil, who was an Iraqi refugee, a uh, beautiful young woman out of Seattle. And then uh, my second guest was an Oscar-winning film director, and that's a, a longer story how I made that connection with her, but um, she had just won the Academy Award. And uh, so I was in her apartment in the spring of 2019 interviewing her as my second guest. And, um, and that's how it started. That's, that's a pretty, uh, pretty solid start. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't know how it happened. Sometimes. I think luck has a lot to do with how life unfolds sometimes. And, uh, you know, there, there's more to it than luck in this case, but not much. <laughs> a lot of it just kind of fell in my lap. Well, that, that's a good thing. That's a good thing when that happens. You know, my, I, my, my, <laughs> we, we discussed a little bit before the show of uh, Dave Chappelle, not, uh, not being at Wiley's very often. My first guest ever on the life radio show was actually the manager. I talked about that, made Dave Chappelle mad and the reason he doesn't come back to Wyatt's. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. were, were there, were there any hiccups in the, uh, in the learning curve to podcasting for you? Oh boy. <laughs> um, I mean, every day is a hiccup in this business. <laughs> it's, I had no idea how competitive this space is. I don't even know that it, I would call it competitive. I, I don't think I don't consider you to be a competitor. I don't really consider anyone that I talk to about podcasting who's in this space to be a competitor. But I think we're all fighting the same battle, which is how how do you get your voice heard? How do you how do you become seen and heard in a space where there are literally 1.6 million podcasts? I think that's the right. latest number that I heard. That's all. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, so, well, okay. Do it on Facebook, get an Instagram, you know, you, you start posting on social media and then you realize that you're basically shouting into uh, a black hole where it's, it's very, very difficult to find an audience. And so it, it's hard work. You gotta, you really gotta focus on just word of mouth. Um, all kinds of creative, creative ways to, uh, you know, get people interested and, um, you got to talk about it. It's, it has to be your life. You, you have to, you know, you have to talk to waitresses about it when you're, uh, eating dinner out. If when, you know, back when, back when we were allowed to, <laughs> back when we were allowed to go out and eat dinner <laughs> and there were waitresses and waiters, uh, in America, but, uh, everyone you talk to, if, if they see what I've discovered is if they see how excited you are about what you're doing, then it's, it's contagious. Yeah. And, um, and they're, they're going to want to hear it. They're going to want to take a look at what you're doing. And so I have tried to maintain my enthusiasm from day one and it's worked. I still, I still love it. And, uh, there's all kinds of challenges that, I mean, we could talk for hours, you and I just about our personal <laughs> challenges in this space. And, uh, how to keep going and how to not go broke while you're doing it. And, right. um, but yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun and I have the, I'm very fortunate that I have a job that allows me basically to, uh, subsidize this dream. And, um, and so I'm not out there chasing sponsors. I'm not on Patreon, uh, nothing against folks that have Patreon and that are, that need sponsors to, to keep going. Right. Uh, all the power to them. And I, but I just haven't had to focus on that because I don't need to. And it's, it's a lot of work 
to find sponsors and then to cultivate that part of your show. And Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I, um, gosh, I mean, you know, this, this whole topic of, of what mistakes did you make and what hiccups, <laughs> I, I, I literally donkey go, go on for hours about that. I've made oh, yeah, it's, every, it, every it's mistake. Like, it's <laughs> definitely endless. And one of the things I like that you said is that other podcasters aren't competitors and that, and that's pretty much true because it's a community of, yeah. you know, we, we call it a, a podcasting community because we're not really, we're not trying to steal each other's listeners or anything. We're just trying to get some of our own. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, what I'm trying to do is I try to lift people up and I do this in the law too. If someone, if a lawyer calls me, whether they're in the same line of work as me or not, uh, maybe it's someone who has an abuse case or a type of a medical malpractice case that I've handled before and they've seen reports of uh, the verdict I got or the settlement that I got for my client. And they're like, hey, what did, you know, what did you do to work up that case? What experts did you use? How did you do it? And I am never competitive uh, with my fellow trial attorneys, even in my same town where we literally are competitors I'm not competitive because I just don't believe that the universe, and this is where it gets a little woo-woo, but I think that the more you give and the more you want to lift up other people and help them, uh, the more that is going to come back to you. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a karmic way of, of looking at life, but um, I really do enjoy the community aspect of lawyering, the community aspect of podcasting, and I see the community part of it really uh, emphasized in the podcasting universe, Don. Yeah. Um, we, we've, I think we all feel the struggle. We all, uh, <laughs> we all know how hard it is and it's like, okay, we don't want to add to that challenge having a jackass, you know, try to keep us down or deprive us of, of information that it took a year for them to gather, you know, that right. just share it and help each other. Yeah, there there needs to be more of that, and just about because uh, one thing in in comedy is there are very few people that try to lift up the other comedians around them, and that's that's one of the things that's often upsetting. Is you see a lot that are trying to tear the other comics down for whatever mm. personal reason, but you know, comics are all damaged people anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I. I, I, I'm the same way. I, I, I try to lift other comics up, you know, get them on other things. I've tried to get other comics involved in films that I'm working on. I've tried to get other comics involved in the podcast. And that's that to me, the more you can promote other people, eventually it's got to come back to you. <laughs> and if it doesn't, I mean, who cares if you're doing what you enjoy, that's the great thing. Exactly. If you enjoy helping people do that yeah. and, um, and the, the I guess the more you worry about whether it's coming back to you, probably the less it's going to come back to you is my guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and that's one, the, one of my favorite things about the podcast, as you mentioned, being, being excited about it and keeping that excited, excitement going. You've been doing it a couple of years. You still got that excitement. I've been doing the radio show for six years, the podcast for four and, Still, this is one of the highlights of my week or of my day, depending on, you know, how often I do these. I just did one last night and I'm still excited to do this one. So that's nice. You got to got to keep that going. And that's that's awesome. Oh, that's great, Tom. Now, you say you're a musician as well. I, I My listeners can't see the video, but I see guitars all over the wall. <laughs> yeah. So right now I'm in my space, my sanctuary. I have three daughters. They're all adults. Two of them are living with me still. I think uh, we're in a place uh, culturally where, you know, when I was 18, I was out of the house. But 18-year-olds uh, are no longer capable of um, caring for themselves, Don. And so I've got... <laughs> they're, they're just kind of helpless creatures until they're maybe in their mid-30s, I think. Um, <laughs> But, and I take responsibility for that. For I think I coddled my kids too much. Uh, and they're great kids, but they're, they're still here. And so I need a sanctuary. And my sanctuary is, and you don't see what's in front of me, but I've got a keyboard. I've got some uh, studio monitor speakers. I've got a music stand with music, uh, my iPad. And 
I've got amps to the right of me, guitar amps. And then behind me, of course, you see the, the wall of guitars and ukuleles and banjos. And so I've been playing music since I was a little kid. I took piano lessons. I was forced to take piano lessons and was fired by my piano teacher for being basically just being a lazy, uh, lazy kid who never practiced until the last minute. That was, that was my biggest problem with music too. It's just the practice. It's <laughs> yeah. It's like I think when you tell somebody they have to do something, it's a different dynamic than when they find that inspiration on their own. And um, it's for me. I think I would have thrived if they would have just let me. Almost like a Montessori school type of approach to music. What type of music do you like, Brian? All right, let's play that. And, and not this sonata or this Bach or, you know, Beethoven. And, and I, I play that stuff still. And I, I would, I'm glad that I was forced to learn it, but, um, but I don't think it's the greatest environment for inspiring kids to keep going and practicing. And yeah. so I, I didn't, and I'm, I'm a procrastinator by nature and it didn't work out. So she fired me. Uh, but then see my dad, was a pilot for entertainers. He flew the rock band Heart in the 1970s and 80s. Oh. Um, he flew, oh, John Cougar Mellencamp, Def Leppard, uh, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell. Uh, nice. he, he was all over the world on world tours with these musicians. And I, I didn't get to see him much, but uh, one of the fringe benefits of that situation was that his friendship with Heart specifically Howard Lease, the guitarist, uh, resulted in uh, Howard giving my dad a really nice guitar, which let me see if I can show you that guitar behind me. Okay, you can see the white one. Yeah. That's a <clears throat> Ovation Acoustic Limited Edition guitar that I didn't know how special it was at the time, but when I was 15, it was laying around the house, and I just picked it up and started teaching myself how to play. And... From then on, I, I had bands in um, high school and college, and and then I one of my bands ended up going off and touring with some pretty fun acts and leaving me behind because I decided to stay back because of a girl. Oh, well, that's always the story. <laughs> yeah, I, I stayed back because of a girl. I don't regret it. Uh, it's it, it, I think it was the right move for me at the time. And it was also, I, I wanted to finish school and I had a plan of action. I was going to you know, get, a, get a college degree and I eventually went to law school and it, and it worked out fine. But whenever you have a crossroads like that, Don, at least this is the way I look at life. Whenever there is a distinct crossroads of, okay, your band is literally going in a di different direction than you are, like you, you're parting ways you can't help but wonder what would have happened if you had made the other choice. And so part of the, um, the angst that I was feeling in early 2019, I think was what would have happened if I had made that different choice or at least done something more creatively than I have done over the last 20 years. And so that's another reason why I got into podcasting to be close to the folks to through osmosis, you know, figure out, what this what these choices were that these creatives made to make the leap into their space uh, it's fascinating to me because i think it's an act of courage what what my bandmates did i think was way more courageous than what i did i took the safe road yeah. i became you know i became a lawyer which is what you know all parents want their their kids to do not not all parents but right. you know it's it's right. kind of the the trope of of the parents who you know become a doctor a lawyer or engineer and I took the safe road, but I think artists and creatives and comics uh, are extremely courageous people to jump into such an uncertain world like that. And that just fascinates me. So I yeah, love most successful comics and successful musicians have a, have a, a period of their life where they were either homeless or real close to it. Yeah. And that's, I know a lot of, uh, national touring headlining comics that still pretty much live out of their cars most of the time. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it is definitely not, not a lifestyle for the faint hearted. That's for sure. 
Yeah, and I think there's there's something admirable about that dedication and the risk they're willing to take. And you know that it's they're driven by something that's about way more than money, and it's it's yeah. it's different than fame. And of course, they want money and fame. Comics do, and anybody who gets into um, a creative space probably wants some type of recognition, adulation, whatever. But I, I think it's it transcends that for people like comics. Um, I, you know, what I hear, I, and I've listened to a lot of interviews with comics because of, of WTF with Mark Marin, but I really do hear something that is uh, more geared toward wanting to be, to wanting to be heard. You know, have have their voice heard and to to connect with the audience in that way, uh, in a in a storytelling way, and even in a joke way. I mean, even if they're not storytellers, they're they're just joke tellers, and there are a lot of comics like that, and I, I have respect for them. Um, but that connection that you're making, the the emotion that uh, of joy and laughter that you're providing, the high that they must get from that. That's why I want to interview more comics. I, I'm I'm also fascinated by that aspect of the performance. Yeah, it's it's definitely performing uh, comedy. It has a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been about six and a half, seven years. I've been performing, and uh, I don't do it full time. I'm I'm again one of the fortunate people that has a job that allows me to do these fun things, uh, mm-hmm. like the radio show and podcasts and the comedy, the acting, all that. That's stuff that I'm, there's some of it I get paid for. Most of it I'm doing for free because I'm fortunate enough to have work that sustains my, <laughs> sustains my living situation. That way I don't have to uh, basically jump, jump into comedy without a parachute like some people end up doing. Yeah. Well, what, what is your approach to comedy? Are you, uh, do, do you have something that you work out like, almost like a script in advance of, of, you know, with an order of jokes and stories or. Yeah. I have, uh, when I first started, I had to have everything written out word for word and then commit it to memory. Cause I acting is my, uh, I I started out doing live theater in my mid twenties. That was my first introduction to stage work was doing live theater. So I have to, when I first started comedy, I'd have to have everything written out pretty much word for word and then commit it to memory. But in the, in the process of committing it to memory, I'd make changes in my head. And usually what I ended up with on stage looked nothing like what was written out. Oh, wow. I mean, it would be the same basic idea, but I would find ways, you know, just in with my job, I do a lot of driving. So when I'm driving from facility to facility, uh, I, I'm a maintenance worker for maintenance and HVAC and electrician for a lot of local, uh, hospitals and medical facilities so i'm driving back and forth a lot between them and i'd go over that set in my head or out loud and i would just make changes to make something funnier to make a joke pop a little bit more if there was something i could add something i could take out because with with comedy the few the the bigger laugh you get with the fewer words the better off you are (laughs) yeah so it's a lot of editing 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 as you remember and and that's uh now later on after doing it for a long time i've gone up on stage with just ideas to talk about no actual jokes which is very frightening but uh oh my yeah, i i have i have tried a lot of different approaches to writing jokes but uh so i don't it, know that i have one in particular it sounds terrifying and it's it's actually kind of eerily uh, similar to trial lawyer trial lawyer work where um, if you're going to deliver an opening statement or a closing argument in a trial I've done the same thing I've scripted it out in advance you know word for word and and read it literally from a page as my hands were were shaking uh, like a like a leaf with the paper in my hands um, at the beginning of my career and then I've tried it almost like improv, you know, you show up and you're like, right, here, here's some broad concepts I'm going to talk about. And, and you're trying to find out, and I don't think there's one right way other than you have to be good. Yeah. And, you know, good in comedy is, is just as amorphous and hard to define as uh, good in 
trial work and trial work at least we know whether we won or lost at the end yeah um, in comedy i guess your win loss is whether you got laughs yeah we we can we can tell but we usually it's distorted <laughs> yeah because i've i've had sets go really well that i thought felt like i bombed mm. and somebody told me, oh no you did it's like well why wasn't any why didn't it feel like anybody was laughing but yeah, I guess yeah. Uh, I, I guess in it's a different way to know whether you won. Mm -hmm. At the end of a trial, somebody will tell you. <clears throat> with with comedy, it's just you 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 get an instant response, but it you know you don't always know whether it's a win. <laughs> I would imagine though that the best way to tell if you won in comedy is whether your contemporaries are legitimately, authentically praising you for what you did um you know the audience laughing i guess is is a good measure but you know someone that you respect who's a good comic and he says don dude you killed up there I, I would have to imagine that that's like the best affirmation you could get sometimes the the uh <laughs> one of the hard parts about that for me is uh i'm part owner of wiley's comedy club so having another comic come up and tell you you did great it's like you, okay are you trying to get in the club or are you trying to tell oh me i see what you're saying yeah so you're you're, you're so thinking, but well, there, this is there are a few there are a few of the comics that uh when they tell me i did well i know i did yeah because there are some that that don't don't pull any punches when it despite what you're part owner of and that those are the ones that when they praise what I've done on stage. That's, that's when it's like, okay, that must've been good. <laughs> yeah. I remember I had a trial, I had a trial that I actually won and I got a good result on, but I was so exhausted at the end of the, the trial because I didn't know how to manage my sleep. I was only getting like two to three hours of sleep a night. And there was this closing argument and I knew it was not good. I knew it was rambling and not uh, focused and this associate that I had worked with, I hired him like a year before and um, we were walking out of the federal courthouse to my car and uh, I didn't even ask him how I did. He's, he just walks in, he goes, he goes, Brian, not good, not good. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I know he's telling me the truth. <laughs> I know that's real because I felt it when it was happening. Um, but yeah, you, you know when you're getting you know when you're getting um, feedback that's that's real. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, as as far as being sleep deprived, probably uh, well, 2019 was a rough year personally for me, but as far as comedy, it was golden. <laughs> I think there were nights I probably didn't get but an hour and a half of sleep just with everything going on in my personal world. Yeah. But when I hit the stage, I had so much. That there was so much energy and so much angst that I put into what I was doing on stage, and because I everything I talked about last year came right out of the personal disasters I was facing, mm. and I've never had a better year of comedy. Wow! <laughs> but at the same time, it was almost soul crushing of a year, and that I thought 2019 was bad until you know we hit this year with everything going on, but. Uh, for some reason, it would seem like the more upset I was about something going on stage, the better I would actually do, or the more sleep deprived, the better I would be. And it was, uh, it was kind of that. That's why this year I'm kind of glad for the break from comedy. But, yeah. yeah. Well, it's uh, it, it's interesting, Don, that you bring that up. That the 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 worst year in terms of like stress it sounds like was is feeding into some of your creativity and your your comedy uh because i remember watching a stand-up special by gary goleman called the great depression which uh and i think great gary goleman is one of the great storytellers out there too but it's it seems like like personal tragedy and um you know, awful events in life, the great comics are able to take that and just use it to great effect because I think audiences really want that type of vulnerability in the folks that they're going, they're paying money to go see.
Well, it's it's honesty, and that's one of the things I always felt about comedy is it's is being perfectly honest about who you are is going to get further than making up something funny. Right. And that's I think that's what carried me through last year was I I pretty much I opened up and there were a lot of people that didn't didn't even know that everything I was talking about was legit. Mm. And it was yeah, it's a weird year. But yeah, I I've that's one of the things uh years ago I was talking to uh, there there was a writer an, an author that uh, had tried stand up comedy for a while. And somebody had asked her why she tried stand-up comedy because she said it was going to help with her writing. And that's what she said. It, it helped her be more honest and mm. more truthful. Right. Because, yeah, if, if you, the thing about being on stage doing comedy, if, you, if it's just something you're making up and something you're completely lying about, it's pretty easy to see through. Mm-hmm. So that's that's yeah. one of the neat things about comedy is that it does it does give you a lesson in honesty. Yeah, I think what I've been looking for as a trial lawyer it, are ways to find that uh, in myself as well, that honesty, because I think jurors are the same way. At, they're, they're, they're the same folks that go see comedy shows. Yeah. They're human beings and they want honesty. They don't want someone who is polished and and um, is perfectly, you know, perfectly coiffed hair and um, speaks in full sentences, full paragraphs, almost like they're reading a script out of their brain. They they want that authenticity. And the way that I've tried to do that is through improv. And um, I haven't taken enough classes, but I did take some improv in that effort to try to find that within me. Yeah. Um, you know, just that, uh, the, the fear of how you're going to be perceived, I think improv has helped me to get past that because you, if you're too worried about how people are going to, uh, what they're going to think of you when you say something, yeah. uh, you, you're not going to, you're not going to pull it off and, uh, you're, you're, you're not there for the audience. You're there in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I- improv is, is. There are a lot of comedians that, that hate improv actors, and there are a lot of actors that hate improv actors, but to me, improv is absolutely necessary to both because there is no, there is no more in the moment you can be on stage than when you're doing improv. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, I've, I, I love doing improv. It's been a long time since I have. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, it's a very fun thing to do. It's yeah. I I wouldn't call it fun for me. It's more scary, yeah. but I feel like after I've done it, I'm so glad I did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can definitely be frightening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I totally admire the folks that have fun up there doing improv. I'm like, man, I really want to be there in that space because uh, I want to get past the fear, but. Yeah, that's. I just haven't taken enough improv, and I need to do that. There are improv classes for lawyers, and there there's improv just for folks that are not comedians that are just trying to find a way to be more present. And I I think it's almost like a life philosophy, yeah. Just as much as it is a a, a performance technique. You know? There there are improv classes for lawyers. Yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, there are. Yeah, Google it. There's uh, there's improv classes for lawyers, and it's uh, it's a big deal because we have such a bad reputation with well, not just with jurors, just everybody looks at us through the lens of all of the jokes that have been told, all of the the bad news stories about lawyers filing frivolous lawsuits, and so we're not seen as human, and we when we go to law school, we are not trained to be human. We're trained to be very robotic. Uh, you know, thank you, Your Honor. Uh, this case is uh, very similar to the case of State versus uh, Jones. And in State versus Jones, blah, blah, blah. Okay. You know, people are going to fall asleep and be completely disinterested in your approach to whatever you're trying to do there, whatever form of advocacy that is. Right be real, like tell a story. The, the storytelling goes back thousands and thousands of years in humanity. It's just 
one of the earliest ways to, that we connect with each other, the way that we form communities, the way that we learn is through stories. And, uh, and so I, it, you know, to be an effective storyteller, you have to be there in the moment. You cannot be reading a script and to be there improv is the, is your portal into how to do that. So that's the concept of improv for lawyers is yeah. how to be present when you're telling a story basically. Right. It, very important. It's just not something I ever thought about as far as that, the, an improv class specifically for lawyers. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to take a little break right now. Uh, when we come back, we're going to work on your improv and my improv uh, when we go over some news stories. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Life Radio Show. We'll be right back with more uh, Brian Smith. I am particularly offended by other people's bad habits that are not the same as my own at the present time. The way they always do those things, this and that and other stuff that I don't have the time, money, or energy to do anymore. But if you've got some things to say about stuff I do every day that is not the same as yourself at the present time, who, tell me who, that's W-H-O, died and made you king. What's Your Effin' Binge is a podcast brought to you by Chris, Anchor, and Spotify. And what we talk to our guests about is what they're currently binge-watching on TV. And uh, what we do is we like to uh, take a different approach. I don't want to know what the name of the show is that they're going to talk about before they come on. I have to actually guess it. So I ask them who, what, when, where, why, and uh, try to figure out what it is that they're watching. A lot of times I'm able to guess it. And sometimes I'm not, and that's fine. That adds to the comedy of the show. We like to bring our guest on, whether they're a model or an actress or a producer or a musician, and just let them have a platform to be able to tell everybody what they have coming up next and also entertain everybody with what's worth watching. So I hope everybody tunes in for the next episode of What's Your Effing Binge. Thanks. It's Chris. Hey, this is Don Smith. I want to take a minute to tell you about The Devil's Apple, a new book by my friend William Morris. It's the true and brutally honest story about Bill's own battle with addiction. It was written for those struggling to overcome addiction as well as those watching a loved one struggle. In Bill's own words, you work just as hard to be an addict as you do to be clean and sober. You can find The Devil's Apple on Amazon.com and for a limited time you can get it for free on the Kindle app. This house is a f***ing prison on planet bullshit! In the galaxy of this sucks, camel dicks! All right, hey, welcome back to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are still zooming along with my guest, Brian Smith, from the Dream Path Podcast. Uh, you, you hanging with us? You ready for some news stories? Ready to rock and roll, Don. All right, the first one I just absolutely love. I don't usually share the headlines. I go right into the story, but I'll share this headline because it says... Uh, China's iron crotch masters fight to preserve painful looking tradition. Wang Lutai is no ordinary Kung Fu master. The 65 year old from a village in central <laughs> China practices a unique and excruciating looking strand of martial arts coined iron crotch Kung Fu. <laughs> its most famous technique involves a steel plate capped log uh, two meters in length and weighing 40 kilograms that swings through the air and smashes into a man's crotch. Uh, when you practice iron crotch Kung Fu, as long as you push yourself, you will feel great, said Wang. <laughs> the fact that his name is Wang has to be pointed out. Uh, he's the head of the uh, Juntun Martial Arts Academy. Uh, Wang, who has been practicing the technique for around half a century and has two children, miraculously apparently, uh, insists that with the correct methods and sufficient practice, it does not hurt and has no effect on fertility. What? Wow. It does not hurt. <laughs> okay, I've seen videos of this. I've seen TikTok videos of yes. this. It might be this dude that you're, you're reading about. Uh, it, it has to hurt. I mean, there's, unless he's got some type of uh, numbness over, you know, maybe calluses <laughs> built up over... <laughs> the course of decades, but, um, I don't see the utility of it, but I guess uh, you can't knock it till you try it. 
Well, I mean, I guess if you're ever in a fight and somebody fights dirty and kicks you in, in your iron crotch, you're just going to look at them and laugh. <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll break, <laughs> break their foot. <laughs> right, you're used to slamming a pole with a steel right. <laughs> with a steel head into it into your iron iron crotch kung fu. Oh man! I, well, I, I used to study kung fu uh, in my teenage years, and if they ever brought this out and said we're going to try iron crotch kung fu, I would have said, "Okay, I am done with this class. Thank you very much." <laughs> I think they should introduce this to the UFC, and Joe Rogan should be the first one to uh, demonstrate how great this is. Uh, I, I think he could inspire all of the USC folks to start kicking each other in the nuts. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I would say Joe Rogan could probably do it. He would get high enough that he wouldn't feel a thing anyway, <laughs> which is probably his natural state. I think. Right. Exactly. <laughs> would you ever practice iron crotch Kung Fu? Or is that just, is, is that an art you don't want a part of? <laughs> well, you know, Every, every time I've even been accidentally brushed by, uh, you know, getting getting kicked or hit down there, I kind of curl into a ball and, and almost into a fetal position and cry. So I, I don't think that I w- I'm well suited. I just don't have the constitution for <laughs> iron crotch work. But you know, maybe that's because I haven't done it before. Yeah, iron crotch. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to be known as the iron crotch attorney? Wouldn't that strike fear into your opponents when you go? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think I might be more of a like a satin or a plush crotch type of guy. Um, you know, like maybe start off with pillows uh, and work my way up to iron. Right. Yeah. You don't. You don't want to go straight to iron. That would, <laughs> yeah. You. You definitely have to take baby steps <laughs> right. when it comes to crotch smashing. <laughs> Start off with a Kleenex. Right. And a pillow. Right. Yeah. Right. I think even the pillow have swung hard enough to uh, not be extremely pleasant. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Let's see what's next on the agenda here. We'll go. Uh, we're doing a lot of things that could really injure yourselves here. Uh, several years ago, a young Egyptian man abandoned his degree in archaeology to hunt scorpions in the country's deserts and shores, extracting their venom for medicinal use. At just 25 years old, Mohammed Hamdi Boshta is now the owner of Cairo Venom Company, a project housing 80,000 scorpions in various farms across Egypt, as well as a range of snakes also kept for their venom. Uh, caught using a colored UV light, the scorpions are exposed to a tiny electric current to stimulate the release of the venom, one gram of which can produce between 20,000 and 50,000 doses of the anti-venom. A gram of scorpion venom can fetch $10,000, and Boshta exports it to Europe and the U.S., where it is used to make anti-venom and a range of other medicines, including uh, for conditions such as hypertension. So if you're a little hypertensive, (laughs) just $10,000 for a gram of of scorpion venom. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, maybe that's the answer to coronavirus. We just not need to start taking straight shots of uh, scorpion venom. <laughs> well, yeah. Once once you get enough scorpion venom in you, you probably won't worry about coronavirus at all. <laughs> yeah, just inject it. Just mainline it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I mean, whatever whatever uh, takes, man, to become a uh, multi millionaire businessman. Uh, I I'm not sure I would go to that extreme to uh, hunt scorpions and then keep so many of them and <laughs> so close to me and snakes. But, you know, yeah. it's, it's interesting. Once you see these nature shows where uh, folks are very comfortable around venomous animals and they, they hardly ever get bit, I guess it only takes one bite to, uh, <laughs> to end yeah, it all. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I, uh, I yeah. think if you're doing something like that, the first thing you want to develop is an immunity. <laughs> yeah. You, you, want wanna, to, you, you want a micro dose. Yeah, you want to buy a ten thousand, you know, ten thousand dollar jar of, of uh, antidote first before right. you start, and then you're you're on your way. But uh, yeah, you know, I I think that's a great business, and I you know I I think that's probably one of the ways that we're going to find answers to these these medical mysteries is through nature, and right. um, I I'm glad people are doing that. I I don't have the the uh, courage to get that close to a venomous animal, but I'm glad folks do. 
Yeah, we we, we need these people to. We <laughs> to absolutely do. 80,000. 80, that's a lot of scorpions right there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean if you could just like combine you know the iron crotch man with the scorpion venom man into one, you know, superhero oh, to yeah. save the world. Um you, we could really see some progress. Well, I I see two superheroes arising right there. That's we we were talking about this earlier. That's what we want is, is some superheroes by the cause yeah. they're, they're going to have to take on that coronavirus supervillain that's going to be here. Uh huh. So yes. we're this this is what these news stories are all about. You know, we discussed the supervillain already that's going to develop from the coronavirus vaccine when the human trials fail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but now we're we're working on developing our superheroes. Through, awesome. through these news stories, this is how we're going to find them. <laughs> they're out there. They're out there. They're just they waiting are, to be discovered. Definitely. They, are, they are absolutely out there. So let's see what... <laughs> let's, see what let's see what superhero we can find in the next one. Um, it's, it's a story from Indiana, so probably nobody. <laughs> uh, uh, it was a bad hair day. Someone returned a stuffed hair on Tuesday that had been stolen from an Indiana restaurant last week, Fox 59 in Indianapolis reported. Surveillance video showed an unidentified customer at the 1933 Lounge in Fishers picking up the taxidermy hair called Theodore A. Hare on Friday night. <laughs> According to the report, the animal, dressed in a fancy hat and carrying an old shotgun, serves as the restaurant's mascot. I want to eat there just because their mascot is a hare wearing oh, yeah. what was it? <laughs> a fancy hat and carrying an old shotgun. That's great. <laughs> Uh, the restaurant posted about the stolen hair on social media and offered a $500 gift card for its return. Uh, Bryn Jones, vice president of marketing and retail for the restaurant's owner, uh, Hoos Culinary, uh, told the Indianapolis Star that replacing the hair would have cost about 1000 So they offered half that as a reward. So did they give the 500 to the guy that stole it? I, I don't know. Let's, let's... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good business model. Well, they did, they did tweet, uh, no questions asked, no hard feelings. Our only hope is he's returned unharmed. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you just, I guess you could just start stealing restaurant mascots and, um, you know, wait until the reward is published and out there and then you, you bring it back and, you know, you just have to report all of your earnings to the, the IRS and I think you're good. It, it, was, it was returned anonymously with a note. <laughs> the hair was the hair turned back up the restaurant on Tuesday night when someone dropped him off in a trash bag with a note saying, uh, uh, sorry, this was a drunken mistake. Well taken care of. <laughs> oh, it didn't claim his gift certificate. What a nice guy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's all. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we all make drunken mistakes sometimes and involves stealing a, a, a hair with, <laughs> with a shotgun and a fancy hat. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he knew, like he woke up and knew what he had done, or if he, he just didn't even know really what happened until he saw the article. <laughs> yeah, like he, like he woke up and saw that tweet from the restaurant, because apparently he'd been to the restaurant. Right. So he, he might have been following him on social media already, and he saw that, saw that tweet on there, and he said, man, did I do that? And then he found a garbage bag that had this hair in it. And probably – you know, put two and two together and realize that you, you probably can't pull it off by taking it to a pawn shop. And uh, it's a little too unique to, uh, it's not like, you know, you have a, a stereo that you're trying to sell. This is something that doesn't right. exist anywhere else in the world. Right. And well, that's, that makes good sense. Anytime you're going to steal a, re a, a, a restaurant's mascot like this, have a buyer lined up ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. Because That's the moral of the story. Yeah. It's 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 hard to unload something that specific. Yeah. So, yeah I, this no is ice. actually this is actually a, a really good start to a screenplay. You know, wake, <laughs> waking up with this stuffed hair that's carrying a, a loaded shotgun. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, what happened? It's like a memento screenplay. You just kind of work backwards through the night. How did this? How did I get here? Yeah, that would that would be a good mystery story. <laughs> Especially if you had never been to that restaurant before, right? <laughs> that's like <laughs> that's that's the Hangover Four. That's right. <laughs> this is the plot to the Hangover Four, right? <laughs> trying to find out how you ended up with this this 
fancy hat wearing hair with a shotgun. Yeah, you got Brad, Bradley's Coop, Bradley Cooper's left you a voicemail, and and it's uh, yeah. guys, I f-ed up. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and it's and it's definitely uh, Zach Galifianakis that stole the hair in the first place. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's perfect. I'm I'm going to start writing that screenplay. Actually, it's do not, it, man. I'm going to try to sell it to the people that made the Hangover just to see <laughs> if they'll do it as a fourth one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's see what else I got. This this one seemed kind of weird, and I didn't know what's what. <laughs> just reading the the headline. An Amazon delivery person reportedly got too close for comfort to one man in the UK. Uh, Jonathan <laughs> Jonathan Doblips Doblips. I'll say Whoa. that again. <laughs> oh, that's a rough name. <laughs> it is. It is. <clears throat> was perturbed by security camera footage he saw showing a delivery person breathing on his window and doodling an unintelligible unintelligible message reports deadline news deadline okay uh (laughs) a scottish-based newspaper the unidentified delivery person then leaves the package on doblip's doorstep (laughs) before marching back to his nearby van i just i can't get past (laughs) doblip's I can't imagine. I can't imagine. We're both Smiths, so yeah. Imagine if you were Brian Doblips. Oh, we we got off easy in great yeah. school. Yeah. <laughs> the incident, which appears to have happened recently at Doblips, uh, <laughs> Ilkston, Derbyshire home. That's all just a tongue twister, right there. Uh, excuse, excuse me, but what is this delivery driver doing on my window? Doblips wrote alongside an accompanying security footage under the same Facebook post. Doblips shared his felt he felt unsettled that the delivery person took a moment to peer into his window. He went on to call the behavior highly inappropriate. So he breathed on his window and wrote wrote a message. And, and what that's was the, the message. And that's the like that's the news story. That's, that's the, the that's news the, story. Yeah, delivery driver, an Amazon driver. That's that's the headline. The headline sums up the whole story, and the whole story doesn't make any other sense. Uh, Amazon <laughs> driver breathes on customer's window, leaves Ooh, message. Slow news day in Scotland. It <laughs> definitely was. I think yeah. I think the takeaway from that is if your name is Doblips, you should probably have it changed. <laughs> right. That's, oh, <laughs> that's rough. I feel bad. I think – but the 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 fact that he was so bent out of shape about it that he would go file a complaint or or to 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 do a post, Facebook post about it, I think his name explains it. I mean, this is a oh, this yeah. is a person who suffered a lot through junior high and high school. Absolutely, uh, so yeah. doing no small part to his last name. That's that's probably all this was. That that's it's the delivery driver is somebody he knew from high school. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's all he did. Is he, he said it was unintelligible? He really just wrote dob lips. He probably wrote butt lips on there. But yeah, 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 or something like that. And, <laughs> and then and then it became a grievance at that point, like tapped yeah, into that, childhood trauma. That makes sense to me. That yeah. that makes more sense than anything else he could write. And now we know why Mister Dob Lips was so upset. <laughs> <laughs> which, which with the name Doblips, that shouldn't have been a mystery to begin with. But right <laughs> now we know for sure. All right. Well, we will see. Uh, let's see. We'll, we'll talk about one more. Let me see what else I got on here that sounds fun. Uh, this one. Where where is it? Where is it? I know there's one on here that's 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 kind of dumb. And we'll uh, it's the Life Radio Show. We'll, so we'll do the last the last news story. As a poop joke, China's Aviation Authority released the new COVID-19 safety guidelines that include the suggestion that flight attendants wear diapers to avoid using plane lavatories. Uh, the Civil Aviation—oh, <laughs> I forgot—the Civil Aviation Administration of China, which I mean, the, anytime you have the acronym a cock, it's never going to be a good <laughs> thing. <laughs> The Civil Aviation Administration of China's document titled Technical Guidelines for Epidemic 
Prevention and Control for Airlines offers suggestions for hygiene practices to prevent flight crew members from contracting the coronavirus. The document, which includes recommendations for the use of medical masks and other personal protective equipment, drew attention online for one unusual suggestion. It recommends that cabin crew wear, uh, members wear disposable diapers to avoid using lavatories, barring special circumstances to avoid infection risks. What would be the special circumstances? If you're already wearing a diaper, <laughs> what would be the special circumstances that allow you to use the lavatory? Oh, I think number. I'm not sure you want to sit in a <laughs> in a poopy diaper for like a 12 hour flight from right. That's China that's to, that would be rough. Yeah, but wow, what what measures were? I mean, I get it. I get why they wouldn't want to go use the restroom, but diapers. Uh, yeah. that, 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 that's a pretty extreme measure. There, there has to be, there has to be another solution to that. That like, I mean, take out a couple other seats, put in a staff lavatory. Right. That would or, be. or just have better ventilation in the, the bathroom. I mean, we've all been in an airplane bathroom, especially toward the end of the flight. They need to revamp the ventilation anyway, even without coronavirus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it, anytime I'm traveling by plane, I'm not going to eat for two or three days before. Because <laughs> yeah. I for one thing, I, I weigh over 300 pounds. I'm barely going to fit in a, in a cabin lavatory. You know, that's yeah. just not really. <laughs> I do. The, yeah, I'm with you. Though. I do the same thing. I, I don't drink coffee. I drink hardly any fluids. And I don't accept any free beverages that are coming through the aisle. Right. I just don't. I don't want to have to get up and, and especially if I'm at the window seat or a middle seat, uh, and I certainly don't want to have to use the restroom. Right. Yeah. As far as I'm, I'm concerned, you know, the the pa- put the passengers in diapers and let the because <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Why not? I mean, they're, it's they're it's not going to. They're the ones that chose to be there. The flight attendants—that's their job. They sh- they should be given a little more comfort than to have to walk around because you know. I mean, I can't. I I can't remember wearing poopy diapers, but it couldn't have been comfortable. Yeah. Well, I I just think also they they need to um, have a rule about being on planes. I <laughs> I heard a I, I saw a Andrew Santino at the comedy store a couple years ago uh cheeto santino on on instagram but he was talking about how barbaric it is to take a anywhere outside of your house and that we should just remove toilets from men's bathrooms and only have urinals and i thought a lot about that afterwards i thought it was funny as a comedy bit and i was like you know what that makes a lot of sense why are people in uh in public places that's just that's not right. <laughs> that's, uh, for, remove that as an option, especially on planes. Yeah, but sometimes you just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what diapers are for. Yeah, manage, I, just, I, I, don't, I don't think I could do it. I wanted, once, <laughs> you know, once I got out of my, I'm pretty sure I decided I ain't going back into these. <laughs> when I'm in my 90s. That's good. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll be in them again here shortly. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it'll happen. It'll happen. I'm going to put it off as long as possible. <laughs> right. All right. Well, I'm going to give you a couple minutes right now. If you have any social media you want to throw out there and, of course, uh, promote the Dream Path podcast again, I'm going to give you a couple minutes to throw out whatever you got that you want to put out there. Thanks, Don. Yeah, my website is dreampathpodcast.com. Uh, I'm on social media at dreampathpod on Instagram and Twitter. I'm also podguybry, uh, podguybry on Twitter. Uh, brand new Twitter account. My other Twitter account got shut down for some reason. Uh, I have no idea why. Twitter hasn't told me why. but uh, So I've got a new Twitter account for my personal account. I'm on uh, Facebook as well, but not a lot. So the best place to find me is usually Instagram or Twitter. And um, look look forward to hearing from any folks who uh, want to listen and have uh, advice on you know future guests that can be on the show or uh, feedback. And I'm always uh, I really like to hear from from listeners and and get feedback so we can make the show better. But Don, I really appreciate you having me on your show, and I I, I think this is a nice unique way to get to know somebody oh to, absolutely to have it br- broken up the way you did and uh you're very generous to uh 
to have me on. So thank you. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. It was great talking to you and getting to know you a little bit. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have you back on again sometime. It was a lot of fun. Don, thanks so much. All right. And thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show. Like I keep telling you guys, if you're going to keep listening to me, I'm just going to keep making these. All right. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show podcast. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, if you want to listen live, we are on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. You can also stream the show live at WWSU1069.org, and we go Facebook Live at the Life Radio Show's Facebook page. If you have suggestions or comments, feel free to email thelife1069 at gmail.com. Overwhelms me. A brutal presence. I don't see the utility of it, but I guess uh, you can't knock it until you try it.